0: Good morning. Heavenly Father, uh, good morning. Thank you so much for uh, giving us the opportunity to be here together with the men and uh, to learn the incredible things this morning. Thank you uh, for the morning. Thank you for the fact that uh, we were able to rest our bodies and sleep and uh, wake up uh, fresh this morning. I pray especially to be with Al. We're all here uh, waiting uh, to to learn from uh, his wisdom, his experience, the years that he has spent serving you, worshiping you, uh, being uh, a faithful servant to you. God, I pray that we all can uh, have a life and lead a life similar to his, uh, a life that would please you, a life that would lead our families, our wives, and our children to worship you and to have an incredible impact uh, on our communities. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. All right. Uh, and again, if you can sort of move to the outside and forward to, to leave room for those still coming in, we would uh, be better if people don't have to climb all the way everybody, to, uh, to, to get in. First of all, guys, thank you for coming. Uh, this is uh, a class I think uh, is incredibly important. Uh, probably more so, hopefully more so than you realize right now. And I hope that uh, you leave today a lot more convicted uh, than when you came in. Uh, we do have something unusual planned uh, session after next, and that is an Ask the Elders, and Elders' Wives, by the way. Uh, so there are cards in the back, if you had not had a chance, and you have some questions that you would like to ask. We, we may have to throw it open for questions from the floor, but first of all, we're going we're gonna to deal with the questions that have been handed in last night and today. So uh, I'll try to remind you when we're through today, uh, if I don't remember, please remind me to remind you to get a card to, to ask a question. Uh, you know, if you haven't noticed, uh, it is challenging being a spiritual leader in your family. Uh, I've got a lot of our uh, newlywed group here, I'm thankful for that, or those who graduate from our newlywed group. And uh, some of you haven't totally discovered yet the challenges, especially when the kids start coming along. Uh, I thought I would start off with, with a, uh, sort of a challenge that, that, that you may deal with at some point in time as your kids get older. teenage boy had just passed his driving test and inquired of his father as to when they could discuss his use of the car. His father said that he'd make a deal with his son. You bring your grades up from a C to a B, study your Bible, and get your hair cut.
0: <laughs>
1: then we'll talk about the car. The boy thought about that for a moment, decided to settle for the offer, then agreed to it. After about six weeks, his father said, Son, you brought your grades up, and you've been studying your Bible, but I'm disappointed that you haven't cut your hair. The boy said, You know, Dad, I've been thinking about that. I've noticed in my studies in the Bible that Samson had long hair. John the Baptist had long hair. And there's even strong evidence that Jesus had long hair. To this his father replied, Did you also notice that they walked everywhere they went? <laughs> It's nice to have wisdom when you're going to be the spiritual leader in the family. Now, think about this topic, uh, quite frankly, it was a little bit dry to me, spiritual leadership in the home, so I uh, give it a subtitle. If this thing works, hopefully it'll work. It's not going to work. Well, let's see. What's going on here? You know, this, why is this always happening? <laughs> Subtitle, Stairway to Heaven. You may think this is a little bit overly dramatic, but I hope by the time the class is over, you don't think uh, that it's overly dramatic. Uh, Next one. (laughs) Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, and you're going to think, well, you know what? We've only read that all of our lives, especially our married lives. We've been taught this. But I want you to see in this, because in studying for this class, I came to a new conviction about this passage. Uh, first of all, I just want us to reread it. But I want you to read it, listening here with fresh eyes and ears, uh, as we read this together. Got my new Bible here, and the pages don't fall open to the right place. Okay, Ephesians chapter five, beginning. Uh, for the verse before, wives and husbands, verse twenty-one. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, now this is our favorite part of the passage here. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife without stain, or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But he feeds and cares for her, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This has primarily been for us a passage about love and respect. And we've talked about how husbands, we need respect, and primarily our wives need love. I want to convict you today, and if you don't take anything else out of today, I want you to get a whole new perspective on this passage. First of all, uh, next next, uh, slide, let's look at uh, Ephesians uh, verse 21. Submit to one another. The Greek in this means voluntarily yielding in love. Now, you've got to understand this because... The context with which we use submit is not always in this context. Uh, I want to give you a quote from a guy who uh, was created, developed, led, CEO of the leading uh, department store in London. And uh, you know, department stores are primarily a service industry, right? Depends a lot on your relationship with your clientele. And so it's important how you relate with people. And so I want to give you a quote uh, from him on his philosophy with his people. I think that is very much in agreement with the idea here of biblical submission. Next slide. The boss drives men. The leader coaches them. The boss depends on authority. The leader upon goodwill. Boss inspires fear, leader enthusiasm. Boss says I, leader says we. Boss fixes blame for the breakdown, the leader fixes the breakdown. The boss knows how it is done, the leader shows how it is done. The boss says go, the leader says let's go. I think this really is the idea (coughs) The whole, the whole idea here of submission. Uh, let me just say this. If you ever use Ephesians 5 with your wife to say, Wife, submit. You have blown it big time. Don't you? And a lot of us have done it. And we, You know what I'm talking about. It doesn't work. Do not use Ephesians 5 as a club with your wife. To say this says you need to submit, so get in line, woman, because it's not the spirit of the passage at all. Now, wives do need to submit, but you know what? It doesn't need to be your call. Uh, get some woman to do it. Don't don't do it yourself. So, just just a uh, just a word for the wise here. If if you've already made that mistake, repent. <laughs> Go back and tell your wife, you know what, I shouldn't have done that. That was not the right thing to do. Okay, next one. Okay, now, verse 25. It says, just as Christ loved the church. It says, we as husbands are to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, why did he do this? To make her holy. I want you to hang on to this. Because we stop with love. I need to love my wife. I need to figure out what love is. We've got to dig deeper and say, why did Christ do this? The reason He did it was to make the church holy. Next one. Now, here's our charge. With all that that Jesus said about Him and the church, He then passes it on to us husbands. He said, just in the same way, for the same reasons, that I love the church, in the same way you husbands are to do this with your wives. I want you to grab a hold of this. Because he is not just saying, love your wife. He's saying, a purpose of loving your wife. He is now giving us a responsibility he says, "Just as Christ loved, next next slide, to make her holy, you husbands have got a responsibility with your wife to make her holy. Holy. What does it mean? If you look at words translated from the Greek, one is consecrate. Consecrate literally means to draw a circle around, to create a boundary, to keep." world out, to keep Satan out, to keep God in. You are, have a responsibility to consecrate your wife. You are to draw a circle around her and her life. With God on the inside and Satan on the outside. Sanctify in the same way. Sanctify. Set apart for a special purpose. Now all of us are called for a special purpose, amen? but it is our responsibility with our wives to make sure that they are set apart for a special purpose Amen. for whatever god's purpose is for her life you husband have got a responsibility there's one more seat up here there's a few there's a few up here we have a responsibility Not just to love our wives. But to love our wives with the end game being they are sanctified. They are consecrated. They are holy. Holy means dedicated to the service of God. (laughs) Do you realize that your call by God is with your wife? That she is to be dedicated to the service of God? Did you realize your responsibility with your wife is to make sure... That she is dedicated to the service of God. You see, this goes a whole lot deeper than just loving your wife. And that's talking about the five love languages. The five love languages are important. But we can end up with a to-do list of things I need to do to show my wife that I love her. And that's important. But if, if that's all you get out of it, you have missed the real meaning. And i missed the real meaning of this passage until I really studied this this time. Because I had not realized the depth of this call. The depth of this call is in the same way, for the same reasons, that Jesus loved the church. I am to love my wife with the same end game. To produce in her a wife who is dedicated to the service of God. Who is consecrated. I have drawn a circle around her. And I am not going to let Satan into her life. It's my responsibility to keep Satan out of her life and working in her life and to make sure that she is set apart for the purposes that God has called her. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? I want you to get a conviction here that we've got to start looking differently at our wives than we have in the past because of the expectation that God has got for us. And so from that then becomes the responsibility we have as being spiritual leaders with our wives. God has given us a special purpose with our wives to make sure that they're on the stairway to heaven. To make sure that Satan is not in their lives. To make sure they're growing in their relationship with God. Next slide. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. You see, it's not just you that needs respect. They need respect too. But respect as the weaker partner that needs to be protected, that needs to be a circle drawn around them, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You see, there's some real spiritual depth here in the call that God is giving us in our relationship with our wives, which is just a whole lot more than making them feel like that they are loved. Now, we're going to talk about they do need to feel loved. But there's a whole lot more in our responsibility than just making sure of that. Next slide. Now, we'll talk today just about two points. One is who you must be, and secondly is what you must do. Those are the only two things we're going to talk about. But you see, we first of all got to talk about who you must be before we talk about what you must do. Because if you're just doing it and you're not being, then you're not going to get anywhere. And and we've tried sometimes to do, give me the ten things I need to do with my wife. Without being who we need to be. And if we're not who we need to be, you're not going to get anywhere with doing all the right things. And so we've got to make sure that we are who we need to be. Now, I couldn't think of anybody better to help us figure out who we must be than our wives. So I've talked with some wives about who your wives would like for you to be. <laughs> I'm not going to use any names except for one. Once my wife. And as I thought about it later, I, I, in fact, I told her this morning. If I, I, I wouldn't use it in my brain. I would have had her in here saying these things because it have been a whole lot more powerful coming from a woman than from me telling you what the women think. But uh, let's uh, next slide. What women want. I'm talking about not just worldly women. I'm talking about spiritual women. I'm talking about godly women. I'm talking this is this is godly women's wish list for you. And if you're smart, you'll write it down. Because there are things I think really that God wants too. I don't think there's a single thing on here that God doesn't want from us as husbands, but your wives crave from you. First of all, next slide. To love God more than you love her. You know, if if your wife feels like you love her more than you love God, guess what she is? She is insecure. Because she knows she doesn't need that spot in your life. She needs the comfort of knowing that you love God more than her, more than your kids, more than your wife more than your wife, more than anything else. She needs to have the comfort of knowing God is absolute, number one in your life, and that is going to set the standards for your life. That's the most important thing you can do. is is for your wife to have the comfort of knowing that you love God more than you love her or anybody or anything else in this life. Okay, the next one. Be over the top in love with her. Let me tell you what. We've been married 50 years this September. And I can absolutely say I am far more in love with her than I have ever been in my life. Now, it's not an accident. It's not just because things have gone great in our marriage. And it's not just because she's perfect because she's not although she's a lot more perfect than I am. It's because we have decided to be more in love. We have decided to be over the top in love with each other. You see, this is a decision. This is not Hollywood love that, that you have for a few years and then something better comes along and you go by feelings. This is not a love that's based on feelings. This is a love that's based on godly decisions that we are going to be incredibly in love with one another. Very valuable passage. Next slide. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21 through 23. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four things it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king. A fool who is full of food. An unloved woman who is married. And a maidservant servant who displaces her mistress. Guys, you better hang on to this one. One of the disasters in life is to have a disciple wife who does not feel loved by her husband. And unfortunately, we've got wives like that. Some of your wives feel that way. And it is your responsibility, if you want to flatten your wife, let her feel like she is not extremely special to you and that you are heads over heels in love with her. And this this is so absolutely important. Now, obviously in this, romance is a very important part. And we don't have time to go in all all the steps. I mean, hopefully you understand how to romance your wife. Our problem is not knowing how to do it. Our problem is not taking the time to do it. And setting the priority on doing it and realizing how important it is for our wife to feel like we incredibly love them. We are so glad that we married them. We affirm them. We affirm the relationship with them. Even the world understands this. That's right. uh, I, I came across a study by an insurance company that you're going to laugh at. You wonder why in the world an insurance companies study these things. But this is literally true. An insurance company did this study about husband's relationship with their wife in terms of affection. And they found out in this study three things. They said, men who kiss their wives goodbye have fewer accidents on the freeway going to work. (laughs) So if you've had an accident recently, maybe you need to examine. (laughs) Number two, men who kiss their wives before going to sleep live longer. And number three, men who regularly show physical affection earn more money. That's a weird study. You've got to admit it. Your your insurance dollars are being well used. (laughs) But isn't it interesting? I mean, even an insurance company company can can come up with with the understanding of of having a great relationship with your wife makes a difference in life. And, and, And we need to understand that as we get so messed up in the complications of life and dealing with priorities, which we'll talk about a little bit later, we've got to remember our wife is our top physical priority in life. That number one, we are to protect them. We're to draw a circle around them. We're to help them be God's woman. But also to make them feel incredibly loved. Next slide. Uh, Back up. Be a strong spiritual leader. Now, this is just not God's expectation. Your wife needs this. I don't care how powerful your wife is. I don't care how talented she is. I don't care how much of a leader she is. She needs for you to be a strong spiritual leader. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to come up with all the ideas. That doesn't mean that that she doesn't have gifts that you don't have. But she needs the security of knowing, first of all, if you're a spiritual man. If you're not a spiritual man and you're married to a spiritual woman, you have got a messed up marriage. And your wife is very insecure. But she needs for you not just to be a spiritual leader. She needs for you to be a strong spiritual leader. And guess what? You can't be a strong spiritual leader if you don't have a strong relationship with God. It is absolutely impossible. So in order to carry out this expectation, first of all of God, but also your wives, you've got to make sure you're walking great with God so that you can be the kind of leader that she needs to be. And it was interesting. I was doing some, some Google searches for this whole point of being a spiritual leader. And do you know that I found more things on Google about how wives can get their husbands to lead spiritually than I found about how to be a spiritual leader? Because it's a huge problem. Some of your wives wish you would be a strong spiritual leader and you're not leading spiritually. And you need to figure out, you need to get help, you need to do that because first of all, God wants you to do that, but second, your wife craves that. She needs that in your life. In fact, Life Saturday. Uh, we, we had a couple uh, from out of town that uh, was in town and, and they asked, could we come over for a few minutes? And uh, the few minutes turned into three hours. Because in their marriage over the past 15 years, he has lost his zeal for God and is not leading. And they physically are moving to move to a situation where they can get help for him to be a spiritual leader. Yeah. Because it, it is, it's, their marriage is messed up. Now, you one to been unfaithful. Whatever, it's just not what it needs to be. And she's very disappointed. And he's disappointed in himself because he knows he needs to lead. But he's just allowed himself over time to get uninspired and, and to not be fired up about his life as a Christian and all the things that God wants him to do, and so he hasn't been leading himself. You see, if you're not being, you can't do. And that's the reason we just need to make sure that we are doing that and get the help that we need. Okay, next slide. Your wife needs for you to keep Job's covenant. Anybody know what Job's covenant is? Next slide. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. That's Job's covenant. Job 31, verse 1. Your wife needs for you to make and to keep that covenant. One of the biggest problems that we have in marriage nowadays, guess what, is pornography. Internet pornography. And that will mess up your marriage You cannot be a strong spiritual leader and be involved in pornography. You can't do it. And your wife needs the security of knowing and believing that you've taken Job's covenant. That you will not look lustfully at another woman. Whether it's on the internet, whether it's in the flesh, or whatever. You are going to be sexually pure. God expects it, your wife expects it, but you cannot be a spiritual man and be involved in that. Okay, next one. Your wife needs to be unified with you. Your wife needs to feel like she is a part of your spiritual team, that she's valuable. I've been involved in too many situations where where the husband treats the wife like one of the kids. Your wife is not one of your kids. Your wife is your partner in the gospel. She is the weaker partner. She needs your leadership. But she needs to value you valuing her as a part of the team. She needs to value you respecting her opinion. She needs to feel like she has things to contribute and feel like you want to know what she thinks about decisions that you make. Or she's a part of those decisions and so forth. Okay, next one. Your wife needs to feel protected by you. And I don't just mean the, the holiness of protection. I mean just physically protection, protected. The maddest that Gloria has ever been at me was one time that she didn't feel protected. I mean, it was, in, in retrospect, it was stupid on my part. We were at a meeting. I needed to go somewhere else. It was probably 11 o'clock at night. This was in Boston. I wanted her to take the, the subway home by herself. And uh,
0: she's a big girl.
1: <laughs> if she weren't a Christian, I'd be dead. <laughs> because she didn't feel protected. It wasn't that she couldn't have done it. In fact, in a huff, she went off and did it just to show me she could do it. And we had a miserable few days together. And I've never forgotten that lesson. Because I didn't understand how important it is to a woman to feel protected. For you to be concerned about them. To feel like you are you're really want to take care of them. You're concerned about it. Not just they can take care of themselves. Next one. You need to be a devoted fellow parent. You need to be involved in parenting. It's it's not... Even a newborn. It's not just the mom's job. You are still the spiritual leader of the family. You need to be involved. Yes, you need to be involved in changing diapers. You need to be involved in helping around the house. You need to be involved in washing the dishes. You need to be involved in just being a fellow parent with all the responsibilities that go with it. Next one. You need to deal with your anger. I think that we have got a significant problem with anger among husbands. How do I know this? First of all, because I've got a problem with it. I know the problem that I deal with, with anger. I've been trying to deal with my anger for 50 years. And I realize I'm never going to totally conquer it. And, and I still slip up. I'm a lot better at it than I used to be. But it really dissolves Gloria in a bad way when I flash in anger. Now, I, do, I have never hit her in my life. I don't yell at her. But I use a tone of voice and I look at a look that just communicates anger. I'm upset with you in an ungodly way. And guys, I am convinced there is no such thing as spontaneous righteous anger. So just give up your idea when she deserves it. It's righteous anger. I have yet to meet the man or woman that is capable of spontaneous Righteous anger. So anytime you flash, it's sin. I'm convinced that. I'll just say that. I'm not God, but but you're not, and I'm not capable of that. And and we need of all the things that I apologize for my kids for today, years later, it was my anger. And again, I didn't yell at them. I didn't hit them, except for spankings, and hopefully that wasn't anger. But you know what? I had a terrible time helping them to homework (laughs) and trying to get them to understand things that to me were totally obviously clear. (laughs) That I made them feel like idiots through anger. And today I still apologize for that. Guys, get control of your anger and realize it is sin. You need to let go of it. You need to change it. Next one goes along with it. Humility. You know what? Jesus was humble. We need to be humble. We're not going to be perfect. Never in this whole lifetime are we going to be perfect. We mess up. We make mistakes. And we need to be quick to admit sin. We need to be quick to admit mistakes. And we can be so prideful in being the leader and needing to be right. That we don't model, that first of all, we're not humble. And we can't model humility if we're not first of all humble. And, and we need to be the first ones to admit mistakes. Not to me too, but rather, I did this, please forgive me. This sense of humility is, is so important. Next one. Godly priorities. I'll talk more about this in a second half. But we've got to make sure, we've got to look at our lifestyle. We've got to look at what we do with the time that we have, our activities, all these other things to make sure they line up with the priorities that God expects us to do and expects to have in our life. Okay, let's, let's go to the last half. Next one. Whoops, one more. You need to have men in your life for advice and accountability. It's not only because you need it. Your wife needs it. Your wife needs to know you're accountable to someone. It really creates insecurity in your wife. If she's called to submit to you, but she doesn't see you submitting to somebody else, because it's almost like you're, quote, the final authority. And uh, you, you're not. And she knows you're not. But, but she feels like she's sort of in a box then when, when she feels like you're not getting discipled. And so all of us need someone in our life that we're open with, that, that we're, we're totally honest with, Amen. that we ask for advice, and that people that hold us accountable. That's what discipling is all about. It doesn't matter if I'm 71 years old. It doesn't matter if you're 21 years old. You don't ever get the point in this life that we don't need that. That we don't need people in our life to help us. Not just in our marriage, but in who we are. So that we can be the men to really lead our wives spiritually in the way that we need to. Okay, now let's move to the second half. What you must do. Now that we understand what we must be, let's talk about what we must do. What are some things... that that we need to do to lead our wives spiritually. Okay, first one. Next slide. If you've known me very long, you've known this one. I am absolutely convinced. I can't show you a Bible verse to show you this, but I'm convinced through my own life, through experience, through lots of years in counseling people, you need to pray with your wife every single day. Day. And uh, if you've been through our, our newlywed group, you've had this pounded into you, and hopefully you kept it up. But and I'm not saying you don't ever miss a day in your whole life. I'm saying that that for us and the people that we've experienced, this is the spiritual glue in your marriage. There's just something that brings you together when you every single day are praying. Together. And I'm not talking about thanking God for your food. But I'm also not talking about necessarily a 30-minute prayer walk. Gloria and I pray together the very first thing in the morning when we wake up. And we pray together the very last thing at night before we go to sleep. Now, I'm not saying that that's, that's what you need to do. I'm saying that's what we've done. We've done it for 50 years. And no one told us to do it. I'm not even sure how we got started doing it. But it has made such a huge difference in our marriage because it is a glue that holds us together. It it is a communication that locks us together. You know what? It is very difficult to be upset with each other and pray together with God. It's just very difficult to do. Because you can't pray to God together and not be humble. It just does wonders and creating unity and creating a closeness and a bond in your marriage. And if you, have a, if, you have, if you do not do that or you do not do that daily, please today decide you're going to start. And again, I'm not talking about a long prayer necessarily. Sometimes we do have long prayer. We take prayer walks. But I'm talking about it's not the quality of any one prayer that makes a difference. It is the effect of doing it every single day together, even if it's just two or three minutes together. And and Gloria and I even take turns doing it. And we spend half the time trying to decide who prayed last and whose turn it is. (laughs) Okay, next one. Make your home a microcosm of the church with a big three. Because in a sense, your home is a mini-church. And in your home, you need to have the big three. The big three, first of all, is to, to love God. We all understand that. The greatest commandment of all is to love God. But guess what? You as a spiritual leader have got the responsibility to make sure that your wife and your kids are loving God. And what does that mean? It means that your whole family needs to be having some type of quiet time. And I'm not talking about your six-month-old necessarily. But you know what? They can start very early on That's right. in participating in prayers and participating in songs and, and getting a Bible story book that is geared to their age level. Yep. But these are very important things. You know, it's important. Our kids still talk about seeing me on my knees in prayer in the morning in quiet time. Wow. You see, that example sent loads to them have your kids, have your wife, has your wife seen you on your knees in prayer when you didn't even know it? Because that's just what you do? Because that's the quality of the life that you have with God. Use your meal times. For us and our family and growing up, meal times were our most important time of all. Because that's gold. Because the whole family would get together. We would share our day. We would sing a song together. We would read. We memorize Scripture together. We did all those things. But I had the responsibility of leading. And I didn't mean that we didn't... We took, actually took turn out three girls, and we took turns with them leading a devotional and so forth, and we trained them in that. But I was the leader. I was the one that made sure that those things were, take, were, were, were going on. And, and it is your job to make sure... That your family is doing well spiritually. You need to know how your wife is doing with her quiet times. You need to be sharing what you're getting out of your quiet times. But, but do you even know how well your wife is doing spiritually with God? Do you know you know right now if she's on a spiritual high or a spiritual low? You know, all of us go through the highs and lows, right? Do you know? See, that's your responsibility. You are the spiritual leader. You are the protector of your wife, of your children. And and it's your responsibility to make sure that those things are happening. Secondly, is to love your neighbor. You know, it is so important, first of all, to do that ourselves, but to train our family in loving our neighbor. There's, there's so many things that just come out of life in this. First of all, what's your relationship with your next-door neighbor? How do they see you deal with a next-door neighbor that is impossible to live with? Do, do, do they see you try to get even? Do they, what is the heart that they see in you And getting along with people? But I think the neighbor goes a lot bigger than that. Uh, Marco is, is having the staff in Postal read a book now. Uh, that whole, called a hole in the gospel. That is really about our love for the for the poor and the needy in the world. You know, a part of our neighbor, the parable of the Good Samaritan, says that we got a responsibility to help take care of people, and we've got a responsibility to help train our children in this. For instance, we have a whole yearly contribution coming up in November. where where the goal is to help support hope, $52 a person. Now, if you're smart, you're going to be teaching your family in this to help them to start sacrificing of how are we going to do that. Why do we do that? What is it that hope does? And and even we we took our, our kids down to feed the homeless. In fact, we have our monthly feeding the homeless. Take your kids down there teach them what it means to love your neighbor to help take. see you've got such great opportunities if you think about this as you think about what it means to love your neighbor and to teach your children and to make sure your wife is loving your neighbor and then making disciples loving the lost. Now do you have an evangelistic family? What are you doing to make sure your family is evangelistic? First of all, you need to be evangelistic. Do your kids see you sharing your faith? When you go out to the restaurant, do your kids see you invite the waitress? Do they see you take opportunity? Do they see you have neighbors over, practice hospitality? Trying to find people who are interested. See, first of all, if you're not being, you can't do. You can't teach them what you're not doing. But if you're not doing that, you're missing the opportunity to teach your kids. And one of the greatest tools that we have evangelistically, those of you who have young kids, is to go out with your young kids sharing your faith in the park and other places like that. I mean, kids are a magnet. I mean, we now have our adopted two-year-old Nyla, who's Afro-American, who looks very different from us. And and, and we were with her uh, a few weeks ago for a week. You know, everywhere we went, people stop us to talk. We don't have to stop them. They stop us. And guess what we can do? We can turn the conversations and we can find and, and we can share faith. Why why did they even adopt why you, you've got to, to think this way. You've got to teach your children, take your kids sharing, and you need to have studies in your home. Your kids need to see you. Stay in the Bible with people. Your kids need for you to share. How things went. I'm not talking about private things or confidential things, but you know, it, 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 not, not every study goes well. Yeah. Not everybody is open. It's important to teach your kids. What do you do with disappointment? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the victory celebration when people are open. You see, all of this is your responsibility. You're the spiritual leader. You're to teach your children. And you're to help your wife to make sure she's doing it. But also, you know, one of the very important things in teaching your children, and, and just this important period, is, is praying for the lost. That's right. You know, as a family, do you pray for people that you're studying with, that you're trying to, to, for the neighbors, that they may be open. You know, your prayers say so much to your children. That's right. They pay attention to what you do. They learn from what you do. So your home needs to be a microcosm of the church. Okay, next slide. As we said before, you need to have a clear set of priorities. And we don't have time to go into an exhaustive list of priorities. But, you know, overall they're obvious. Number one is God. and, And number two is your wife. And number three is your family as a microcosm of the church. I mean, you say, well, how does the church fit into this? They're a part of the church. They're not in competition with each other. As a spiritual leader, you have your main responsibility before God is your family spiritually. And you're leading them. And you know what? Way down the list of priorities comes your career. Way down the list of priorities comes your kids' education. And it's very discouraging to me. We, we, we've done a lot of travel this year. We've been like, I don't, I don't know, eight countries this year. And there's a universal problem in the church, and that is people elevating education about the church. Yeah. Say, so, well, you know, like my kids just can't go because they got to stay home and study. If they don't study, they're not going to get the right kindergarten so they can go to the right middle school so they can go to the right high school so they can get the right. I'm serious. There are literally places in the world that if you don't get in the right kindergarten, you probably don't get in the right college. And there are people compromising their priorities because they're concerned about education. And the thing I always say is, tell me what college that Jesus and the apostles went to. The important thing is going to heaven, not where you go to college. And we've got to keep those priorities straight. Next slide. Teach a lifestyle of sacrifice versus comfort. I think this one is very important, especially in the United States. You know, we're not only taught that comfort is not important, we're taught that comfort is dangerous. Because comfort, in many cases, equals lukewarmness. We are called as disciples to be sacrificial sacrificial in every way and you know what, this this has to do with the house you live in it has to do with the car you drive it has to do with your weekly contribution it has to do with your missions contribution you know what, you teach your kids about all these decisions it was very alarming that we had so many married families in coastal that gave nothing to missions contribution First of all, that's wrong, but secondly, do you realize the opportunities you missed with your children? Because, to me, one of the biggest ways to teach our kids is to sacrifice for missions. I mean, when our kids were home, missions contributions were a big deal. We would talk about, okay, how many meals do we want to miss? What do we want to do? What yard sales do we want to have? What can we do without? So that... We can give what we need to give, and we would set a goal as a family in doing this. And that is so very important to, to, to teach sacrifice over comfort and, 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 and just the actions of doing this. Okay, we've got we to fly here because I see some women back there, which means our time's almost gone. Take control of the finances. And this, this has to do with, with the comfort versus, versus uh, sacrifice. But you've got to take control of the finances. Sometimes you've got to make some hard decisions. No, we cannot do this. No, we are not going to put any more on our, on our charge card. I hope that you really enjoyed Crown Financial. I hope that was very important to you. we decided we're going to hopefully in the near future do this every summer. Let's go through Crown Financial because not just because we want you to give more money to the church, we want you to take control of your finances right. so, so that you, you can use your money in the right way. Yeah. Next slide. Uh, take control of the calendar. Our kids are involved in too many things. It's, it's insanity. Well, one of our kids, they have three daughters. And they were involved in the four dogs. And they were involved in four different sports. They finally had to say, this is insanity. We can't do this. And they all had to choose one sport. Because they couldn't drive in four different places. And it was just taking control of their life. You've got to take control of your calendar. You've got to take control of even things like homework. You just can't take and let your kids do five hours homework at night. You need to take... It is your responsibility as a parent to decide what is responsible Okay, next one. We are talking about that one. Next one. Teach how to deal with hard times. You know, life is about hard times. Life is not just about everything going well. Life is about hard times. There are hard things we have to deal with. Uh, the loss of, of, of jobs, uh, sicknesses, even the loss of a pet is a great opportunity of learning how to you deal with hard times. Because you've got to prepare your kids for this. Next one. Use the kingdom village. The church. You know what? We're not isolated. We've got got to help each other. And there's so much that we can get from this. Uh, The teen camp. Palm Springs. Hope Youth Corps. Marriage retreats. All those kind of things. Discipling. That all has to do with the kingdom village. Okay, next one. Have dreams and experience miracles. I think this is so important with our families. you got to have family dreams. Yeah. I hope right now one of your family dreams is going to San Antonio next summer. Yeah. Yeah. You say, but well, I don't have the money. Think about how to get the money because this is so very important of what you can give your kids. Yeah you you, you got you to get your priorities straight here and figure out how we do this because it's such a great opportunity to have a family trip for a purpose of the kingdom and experiencing what the kingdom overall is like and, of course, the miracles that come with that. Okay, final slide. Experience the joy of helping the whole family climb the stairway to heaven. I hope that in this time I have convicted you to really take, go deeper than you've ever gone before, and realizing you, by God's call, are the spiritual leader. Not just of your kids, but of your wife. And you need to be the right person, and you need to do the right things. Thanks for coming. Let's put it into practice. Don't forget to ask the elders questions.